So often, you and I can be experts at missing the point. Am I right? Have you ever missed the point of something? I sure have. I can be quite good at it, really. I mean, if you need any points missed, I'm your man. I just recently learned that the point, I learned, I learned the point of this, the little loop on the back of most jackets. Do you know what I mean? In your jacket, some of you guys are like, no, I didn't know about this. In your jacket, there's a little, a lot of, there's a little cloth loop in the back. You, you, you can stick your finger in it. It's real small and tight, and it's right back, right about here. Do you know what that's for? I just learned that it has a purpose. Turns out that that loop is for hanging up your jacket. Who knew? I just always hung mine up by the hood or on the collar itself. But it turns out if you hang your jacket on that little loop, then it doesn't take as much room up on the rack and it doesn't fall off the hook like my coats are always falling off the hook. Who knew? I was only 50 years old before I found that out. My mom probably tried to teach it to me, but I can be an expert in missing the point. In this story, Jesus tells some people that they are missing the point of something much more important than coat loops. In this story, there's a big search for Jesus. They're looking for him. But when they find Jesus, he tells them that they've been looking for him for all the wrong reasons. They have been missing the point. And Jesus is quite feisty at this point. He confronts these people and points out their error. He's really quite strong with them because he does not want them to miss the point any longer and he doesn't want us to miss the point either. So let's try not to. But before we get to the part where they are looking for Jesus, we have to start with the time when they were not looking for Jesus and they found him anyway. That's the story starting in verse 16. This story starts, follows right on the heels of the story we studied last Sunday, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 men with just the five small barley loaves and the two small fish. Because of Jesus, there was enough bread. What was the point of that miracle? We don't want to miss the point. What was the point of that miracle? Well, we said last week that when you factor Jesus into your calculations, the impossible can be done, and that God provides all that he requires. That was the point last week, but there's much more to that story to not miss, as we shall soon see, and it has to do with this idea of bread. After Jesus fed the crowd, he slipped away, so they couldn't force him to be a king. This wasn't his time, and it wasn't his way, so he slipped off on his own. We saw that last week. And apparently, he sent his disciples off on their own, across the Sea of Galilee. Look with me now at verse 16, which Keegan just read to us. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Okay, so 12 disciples in a boat. You get the picture? They've been on the east side of the lake, And they're headed for the west side. The lake is about seven miles across at its widest. And it's nighttime. It's dark. And Jesus was, by his own design, left behind. And a storm began. Verse 18. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Can you imagine? Do you, 
Do you see it in your mind's eye? Anybody ever been at sea in a rough? Okay, some of you have. I've, ne- I've been at sea uh, in more ways than one, right? Uh, but I have never been where it was rough. We did a sea voyage shortly this summer on sabbatical, and I was always worried that I was going to get seasickness, but it was just kind of smooth sailing the whole time. You get used to the gentle rocking, okay? Heather tells me she's been on a ship where it's rocking like this, right? And the waves are coming up over the deck. These are 12 men in a boat, a little fishing boat at nighttime, and these storms can come out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. I think it must have been scary. And then it did become scary because they weren't looking for Jesus and he came looking for them. Look at verse 19. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. Walking on the water? They are three and a half miles from shore. And they see Jesus coming towards them on the water. That's like from here to Kylertown, okay? Imagine right now that it's just water between here and Kylertown, but here in Ruth's house, on the far side of Kylertown. And it's dark, and the waves are going like this, and the wind is blowing like this, and you're holding onto the boat like this, and all the way over from Kylertown... Jesus comes walking on top of the waves. This is not funny. You know, we we have all of our jokes about walking on the water. You know, you look on Facebook and you put in walking on the water. I'm sure there's a million jokes about about it. It's it's like cartoonish, you know, something Bugs Bunny would do. You know, until he realizes that he can't walk on the water and and then he sinks, right? And we're used to strange things with CGI and all that, with a, like a Marvel movie. This is real life, okay? This is real life. Can you imagine this happening? How are you going to feel? They were terrified. And rightly so. This is not normal. This does not happen. You can't walk on the water. This breaks, this, it's not like, Black Mishannon after it's iced over. That's not that kind of walking on the water. Who is this person? This is a person who rules the seas. This is a person who all creation is under his feet. This is a person who makes the rules. So he can break the rules if he wants to. So yeah, the disciples are scared. They are more scared by this person than they are by the storm. And then he speaks to them. Verse 20. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. That makes all the difference. Verse 21. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Imagine that moment. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That sounds like another miracle to me. They just hydroplaned across the rest of the lake. I don't know. When they took Jesus into the boat, everything changed. They were safe. 
In fact, that's the point I want to make this morning about this part of the story. If we, fi- if we find Jesus, then we find true safety. That's point number one of two this morning. We find true safety. It's because they received him into the boat that they were safe. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is safe. I was, I was working on this message yesterday, and I wrote down this point as, Jesus is safe. And then I'm like, eh, um, no, I don't think so. Jesus is scary. He is strong, and he is kind, but he is so powerful. He is so in control. His disciples are terrified when they see him come. The waves are terrified when they see him coming. They're like, get out of his way. Get out of his way. Jesus is scarier than the storm. So if you're with Jesus, then you are safe. The water lets Jesus walk on it. So if he's in your boat, then it gets where it's supposed to go. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that the Apostle Peter walked on the water too for a short moment before he took his eyes off of Jesus. And Matthew also tells us that the men in the boat worshiped Jesus and said, truly, you are the Son of God. But John leaves out all of those details to focus on the one thing that Jesus says, it is I. Don't be afraid. There's no reason to fear if we find Jesus. What are you afraid of? Is it scarier than Jesus? Is it more powerful? If you know Jesus, then you have ultimately nothing to fear. The words in verse 20 translated, it is I, are in the Greek, ego eimi. Ego eimi. I am. Can be translated, it is I. In fact, that's correct. That's how you would say, it is I. That's why your translation says it this way. But they can also be translated, I am. These words, ego, me" are going to show up again and again in the Gospel of John, especially the seven times that Jesus says, I am, and then fills in the blank. You know what I'm talking about? The I am statements of John? There's seven big ones. And the first one we're going to see later this morning in verse 35. I think we're supposed to hear here echoes of Exodus 3.14. When Jesus talks like this, when Jesus, when Jesus says, I am, ding, a bell is supposed to go off in our brains to the burning bush and remind us that God says that he is the I am, personhood and existence perfectly together, I am. And if Jesus shows up walking on the water and says, I am, don't be afraid, we should not miss the point that he is also claiming to be God himself. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? If we find Jesus and who he truly is, then we find true safety. Don't be afraid. Does that help? As you're going into this week, is there anything you're scared of? Is it bigger than Jesus? Is it scarier than Jesus? Is it more powerful? No. 
Don't be afraid. Now, the next morning, you and I know where Jesus is. We just read about it. And the disciples know where Jesus is because he got in their boat last night. But the crowd doesn't know where Jesus is. And they're confused by that. Look at verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. I almost titled this message, The Search for Jesus, because you get a little sense. It's kind of like, where did he go, George? Where did he go, right? Where did he go? They're confused. And I'm not sure exactly from reading that how they figured out where he was. Perhaps those coming from the boats from Tiberias in verse 23 had seen him and let everybody else know where to find him. Either way, the crowd is still in hot pursuit. They found him yesterday and they got fed by him. So they're after him again today in search of Jesus. Is it good to look for Jesus? Sounds good. But it really matters why you're looking for him, doesn't it? King Herod was looking for Jesus when Jesus was a baby. He wanted to kill him. Why did these people want to find Jesus? That's exactly the beef that Jesus has with them. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Almost like, you're doing something wrong. We've been looking for you. By the way, this is Jesus' chance to say, I got here last night by walking across the lake all by myself. Check me out. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't try to impress them. And he's certainly not impressed by them. He's not impressed by the crowd showing up the next day. So often we are impressed by the crowd. And by the way, this is an impressive crowd here today, this morning. Thank you for braving the snowstorm out there and making it to church. But Jesus is not impressed by a crowd. Jesus doesn't care about being popular if he's popular for the wrong reasons. Jesus said, I know what Can you do it where the parts I say that aren't any good, you cut those out, and the parts that are good? Okay. You've got to work with what you got. I understand. There, I think you can hear me now. All right, now verse 26 is the verse that we get our title from. Verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See what I mean about him being feisty and confrontational? Yes, they're looking for Jesus, but they're not looking for Jesus. They're looking for Jesus to get more bread. Jesus knows their hearts. He knows that they saw the miracle yesterday. They saw his power. They saw five loaves become 15 loaves, and then 500 loaves, and then 50,000 loaves. And all they're thinking about is loaves. They're looking for Jesus but they're not looking for Jesus. They're missing the point. 
See, remember, all these miraculous signs are signs, right? They, they point. They're not just miracles, but they're pointing towards something. In fact, they're pointing towards someone. They're pointing towards Jesus' identity, towards who Jesus really is. And these folks were seeing the miracles, but missing the signs. We've seen that again and again in the gospel. And we're tempted to do it ourselves, aren't we? To look for what Jesus can do for us instead of who Jesus really is. And the irony of that is that when we do that, we're actually setting our sights too low. We're thinking too small. That's what Jesus says in verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, disappears, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, the God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In other words, you guys are focused on your bellies. You're focused on the here and now. You're focused on the earthly food. But I'm offering something that's much greater than that. This perishable food is pointing towards something that's imperishable and eternal. And you will get it from me. He says, the Son of Man will give it to you. On the Son of Man, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And here we're back to, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We're all tempted to make this mistake, are we not? We look to Jesus to make our lives better in the here and now. We looked for Jesus to heal our bodies and fill up our bank accounts. We look to Jesus to fix our relationships and make our businesses flourish. We look for Jesus to give us great sex lives and heal our nation and make us happy and fill our tummies. We do that, don't we? And of course, Jesus cares about our bodies, our bank accounts, our relationships, our businesses, our sex lives, our nation, and even our happiness and our tummies. Jesus is strong and kind. That's why we pray about those things to him. But those things are all very small and temporary in the grand scheme of things. And Jesus does not exist to give them to us. Like some kind of vending machine. Those things exist to point us to who Jesus really is. They're the shadow. He's the substance. Don't miss the point. Now what do you think these folks heard Jesus say to them? What did they focus on? Jesus said, do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. What key word do you think the Jews focused on in all of that? Work. It was the word work. He said all of that, but they just focused in on that one little word. One of their favorite words, work. Look at verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires. They're like, all right, now we're talking. What's the deal? Is the answer going to be some command of the law? We're great at this law-keeping stuff. They're always assuming that salvation is spelled D-O, do. What must we do to do the works God requires? Do you think that work was the key word that Jesus would have had them focus on? i got a trick question for you this morning, okay? Ready for a trick, another trick question? When is work not work? When is work not work? Here's the answer. When the work being talked about 
is faith. Because that's not something we can boast about. It's just trusting in the work of another. That's why Jesus says, verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The key word that Jesus would have had them focus on in verse 27 is the word give. The food that endures to eternal life is given by the Son who has the seal of the Father's approval. It's given. And our job is simply to believe in Him and what He has done. Because God spells salvation D-O-N-E, right? Done. All of these miraculous signs are pointing us all along to who Jesus is and what He has done. And if we believe in Him, then we will be saved. Or as John says at the end of his gospel, these miraculous signs are written here that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believe in the one the Father has sent. That's true safety, is it not? It's so safe that you're saved. It's salvation. Because God the Father sent God the Son to save us on the cross and at the empty tomb. Do you believe? If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I implore you to do so now. Because that's why he came. Not just to give us happy lives in the short run, but holy lives forever and ever with him. And happy lives forever and ever with him. Because when we truly find Jesus, we find true satisfaction. That's point number two this morning and last. When we find Jesus, we find not just true safety, but true satisfaction. Not just the the kind of temporary satisfaction that's here today and gone tomorrow. These guys ate their bread, ate the bread the one day, and how did they feel the next day? Like a few hours after Chinese food, right? I'm hungry again. And I'm hungry again. And I'm hungry again. Those loaves that Jesus was multiplying were pointing towards something much greater and more lasting. In verse 30, the crowd asked Jesus for another miracle. Look at verse 30. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So again, they're experts in missing the point. And Jesus doesn't let them get away with it. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Now we're going to get into this more deeply next week, Lord willing. Jesus is going to hit this again and again from different angles for the rest of this chapter. And then there's going to be a moment of decision. He's going to say this in even more striking ways. But you see the main thrust of it, right? There's another misunderstanding going on. Like the woman at the well and her water. Well, give me some of that. 
And Nicodemus and the second birth, how can that be? Here it's the bread. They're focused in on the bread, like the manna from heaven that God gave during the Moses years in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. They think that the feeding, maybe the feeding of the 5,000, that the new Moses is here. And he's going to feed them all with some some bread and more bread and more bread as the kingdom is arriving. Because he's the prophet who was to come, the prophet like Moses. And they're not all wrong about that. But they're still missing the greater point. The loaves were not just about the loaves. Right? The loaves were not just about the, the bread. was not just about the bread. The bread was pointing Pointing, pointing, pointing to the true bread from heaven. And it wasn't just manna bread. Gone here today and gone tomorrow. It was Jesus himself. Here he says, Ego eimi. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Brings in that thirst theme again. When we truly find Jesus, we find true and lasting satisfaction. Not just for our tummies, but for our souls. Earlier in this message, I asked you what you're afraid of. And if it's scarier and more powerful than Jesus. Now I want to ask you, what are you chasing after? And is it more satisfying than Jesus? What are the loaves to you? Like in verse 26, what are you tempted to find your satisfaction in? Heather Joy asked me that question yesterday, and I deflected. I don't think I want to think about what I tend to chase after, to have my fill. But I need to. Because I'm often aiming too low, thinking too small, thinking too much about the short run and not about the long one, not about forever. But those loaves loaves are here and then gone. When we come to Jesus, verse 35, we never go hungry and we never are thirsty for all eternity. That's true satisfaction. Jesus was frustrated with these people because they have seen him and even seen him do these miracles and still do not believe. They've missed the point. Let's not miss the point with them. Because Jesus is who we're looking for. For safety, salvation, and satisfaction forever and ever. Amen?